Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH, streaming live on all those smart speakers like Amazon Echo and Google Home. Abortion is going to be an issue in this election. Democrats will make sure of it. So who handled that topic the best last night? The answer to that question is what's trending. What's trending? Let's debate. There's no doubt at all that Democrats have an edge when it comes to the abortion topic, according to the polls. Now, the way they frame the debate is how they get that edge. That's kind of disingenuous, the way that they do it, though. Because the truth of the matter is they have very extremist positions on abortion. But when they frame the question as to whether or not you support a total ban, a federal ban, which they ascribe to Republicans, they have an edge. There is no doubt about it. And while the topic of abortion to voters is not the top issue for them, not even close, I think the last major poll as it relates to the issues, it was like a 3%, 4%, something like that. But it's going to get a lot of coverage. And it can inspire in certain areas enough liberals to go out and vote that impact in a significant way Republicans. So who handled it last night the best? To me, by far, it was Nikki Haley. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, we need to stop demonizing this issue. This is talking about the fact that unelected justices didn't need to decide something this personal because it's personal for every woman and man. Now it's been put in the hands of the people. That's great. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. That's a great answer. It is a great answer. Because it attempts in a good faith way, in a reasonable way, to address all concerns. Number one, she says, I'm unapologetically pro-life. She is anti-abortion. Many of you listening are anti-abortion. I believe her when she says that. She's indicated that many, many, many times, and she's given us no reason to doubt her position. But... She's also being pragmatic, and she made this point a few times throughout this portion of the debate, which is you can say you back an abortion ban, but you don't have 60 votes. You don't have 60 votes in the Senate, period. End of story. So rather than push that, which, by the way, this is me talking strategically, that's a mistake from a general election standpoint. That's a losing issue. But why not focus on where there is overall agreement, which is third trimester abortions, which Democrats want to pretend isn't a real thing. 
while also saying it's rare, it's weird the way that they're arguing about it. Here's Mike Pence who answered. After I gave my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I opened up the book and I read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And see, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses, now choose life. And I knew from that moment on the cause of life had to be my cause. And I've been a champion for life in the Congress, a champion for life as governor and as vice president. And uh, to be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a states only issue, it's a moral issue. And I promise you, as president of the United States, the American people will have a champion for life in the Oval Office. Can't we have a minimum standard in every state in the nation that says when a baby is capable of feeling pain, an abortion cannot be allowed? Does that sound reasonable? Yes, it does. Is it a winning issue for Republicans? No, it is not. It isn't. But what is, is focusing on the extremism, which is what Ron DeSantis did. You got to do what you think is right. I believe in a culture of life. Uh, I was proud to sign the heartbeat bill. Uh, I remember one of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. What the Democrats are trying to do on this issue is wrong to allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. I know a lady in Florida named Penny. She survived multiple abortion attempts. She was left discarded in a pan. Fortunately, her grandmother saved her and brought her to a different hospital. We're better than what the Democrats are selling. We are not going to allow abortion all the way up till birth, and we will hold them accountable for their extremism. That is a winning issue, which is why Democrats, particularly in the media, lie about that issue. Jen Psaki, formerly head liar for the White House, now a low-level liar for MSNBC, she tweeted after that, no one supports abortion up until birth. Now, we want people like Jen Psaki and others to say that because it benefits us politically. Because for the vast majority of Democrats, they will not answer a very simple question, which is, do you support any limitations on abortion, elective abortions? We can't give them an out in answering that question because an out in answering that question, if we just say, do you have any restrictions? They'll say no in the case of the life of a mother. And I think that that is where most people in this country are. But when you say, do you support elective abortions up until birth? Do you support any restrictions on elective abortions? They will not answer you directly. Most of them will not answer you directly. They'll give you a dishonest and disingenuous answer like Jen Psaki just did, which is no one supports abortion. She's using the term support in, of course, in a misleading way, purposely, because what she's trying to say there and what if you try to get her to answer you. And sometimes on Twitter, you'll get some of the people who use this language to go with you a little bit and actually answer some questions like no one wants to have one. No one wants that. That's how they're using support. As in whether or not you personally want to go ahead and, and have a, a third trimester abortion. That's not the argument. Should it be legal? Yes or no? Most people will not answer. Sometimes they'll say to try to get around it, which is 
It's very rare. Less than 1% of abortions happen past 30 weeks or whatever it is. But then others will say it's not even happening. Well, which is, is it 1% or is it not happening? Because 1% of the number of abortions that occur every year in this country, that's still a very, very high number of innocent lives. So which exactly is it? And then every so often, you will, in fact, get a very, very, very far to the left politician acknowledging where they stand, like Senator John Fetterman. Do you support any restrictions on abortion? I don't. I've always believed Even in the third trimester. I, 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 I believe that choice is between a woman, her doctor and a God if she prays to one. No one supports abortion up until birth, Jen Psaki said. Well, he's a someone. Sorta. What about New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, who was on Face the Nation? So nail down for me then, how do you define, because up, up till now, my understanding is there wasn't a limit on when in a pregnancy a woman could receive an abortion. Have you set any limit? There on? are no limits. So for us... That's very controversial. Me, it can be. I mean, look, it's the 1% of all abortions, and uh, that's still a sizable number of abortions worldwide. 1%. It is a sizable number. You have no restrictions. You have no restrictions. Seven states have no limit to when you can get an abortion. Seven states plus, uh, including D.C., I should say, six states plus D.C. Colorado is one of them. Oregon is one of them. New Mexico, as you just heard, is one of them. New Jersey, Vermont. That's pretty extreme. I mean, here's how extreme it is. Even Washington has limits on abortion, which is up until the point of viability. We don't give a very specific date. It has to do with whether or not doctors would say a fetus is viable outside of the womb. That's where most people are. When you throw out 15 weeks, they also seem to be there, according to polls. But let's just say there's a little bit of, of wiggle room in what that date would be, where Fetterman is, where Grisham is, where the Democrats are, the ones who will be honest about their position. That's not where the American people are. So please keep that in mind as we have these conversations. Because it's very easy to turn what is not on its face a winning issue for Republicans. It's very easy to turn it into a win. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? National. We've been playing the audio throughout the show of last night's debate. Of course, we literally just played some audio. Joining us on the line to discuss how the RNC thought it all went. Tommy Piggott, RNC Director of Strategic Communications. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. What is the RNC takeaway from last night's debate? Well, I think the takeaway is that Joe Biden's going to be a one-term president. I think it was hard to watch that debate and not come away with the conclusion that every single one of those candidates would, would be a better president than Joe Biden. And ultimately, that that's the ultimate goal of the RNC and what Republican voters want to see is Joe Biden be that one-term president, to beat Joe Biden in 2024. I mean, the debate was passionate. We had some disagreements, obviously, like you'd expect in any mm -hmm. debate, but they came with real solutions and discussed real issues the American people care about. Were there any surprises last night from your perspective? Uh, I don't know, maybe about surprises, but I was impressed about just how well the candidates did in terms of expressing what they thought about issues ranging from Bidenomics to foreign policy to the border to women's sports. There's a lot of issues that were touched on. And obviously, with you know, eight people on the stage, it's going to be hard to get your 
uh, stay in. I mean, the moderators mm-hmm. did their best to try to make sure everyone had a chance. But I was impressed with how passionately and how uh, uh, coherently and how uh, importantly these candidates expressed their views and expressed their vision for the country. And I think each of these candidates did a great job. There were obviously a lot of people on the stage, not everyone on the stage, going into this next debate coming up, I believe it's September 26th. What will be the criteria to get on the stage? Well, the criteria is being raised slightly. We're looking at a slightly higher polling average, a bit more grassroots donors. I think people uh, expect that as we get closer to actually casting ballots, as we get closer to to picking our nominee. I think that's a natural process. So they're going to be slightly higher. The same general theme, though, that we have grassroots donors, we have polling averages, and the Beat Biden pledge. The Beat Biden pledge ultimately so that a Republican nominee is in the best possible position to beat Joe Biden, which is what I believe every Republican voter wants. Well, there were a couple last night on stage indicating that they lied because they signed the pledge. But they also said Chris Christie, uh, I think it was Asa Hutchinson, as well, said they wouldn't support Donald Trump or they wouldn't end up supporting everyone, anyone. uh, They were talking about Trump. Well, I think ultimately the voters are going to look at the pledge that they signed, look at what they say and how they conduct themselves and make their own determination. Ultimately, our focus is to make sure that Republican nominee is in the best position possible to beat Joe Biden. That's what we're working towards. That's what we're going to do. Everything from the infrastructure to the pledge itself is focused on that. And I'm confident if we do that and we do unite around the Republican nominee, we are going to beat Joe Biden and save this country from the decline that Joe Biden seems intent to force our country onto. Obviously, Trump was not there. I actually thought he should have. I I think the consensus, at least amongst the talking heads, was that they wanted to see him. What are the voters saying? And again, I know that the RNC, you in particular, particular, you're in a little bit of a weird spot to to provide analysis on any uh, issue around the election. But it does seem like people want to hear from the president. I think, yeah, all Republican voters want to hear from the president. I think uh, we we, we made no secret about the fact that we wanted President Trump on that debate stage. We wanted all the candidates that qualified to be on that debate stage. So we made no secret about that going in. President Trump is a great debater. Uh, There's no denying that. Uh, And I think uh, Republican voters do want to hear from him. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of what he might do in future debates, but we hope that if he qualifies, as I'm sure he will, that he'll attend those. So I think ultimately this platform was huge for Republicans to reach not just Mm -hmm. Republican voters, but independents and Democrats as well. And the next debate will be another huge platform. And I think uh, the more Republicans that that can uh, have a chance to express what they have uh, in terms of a vision for the country, the better. And they should do that as often as possible. And and final issue uh, ahead of this debate, there was some confusion, perhaps, by Mayor Suarez, who said he qualified. Turns out he didn't. You had Larry Elder, who was threatening a lawsuit. Where do things stand? Where where were they and why did they not get on that stage, at least in the context of the claims that they made? Well, I don't necessarily want to get into the specifics of the exact claims that they made, but ultimately we set these requirements very transparently uh, weeks, if not months ago. We made sure that Republican candidates knew exactly what those requirements were, what the elements were that went into those requirements, such as grassroots donors and polling. Those That was all very public, very transparent, yeah. and that was applied in a very fair and unbiased way. So the candidates that met those requirements signed that pledge and then chose to be, be at the debate were at the debate. Is it fair to say that part of the reason why you're raising even slightly the, you know, the, the benchmarks that they would need to, to reach to get into the next uh, debate is it's intentional, right? We want to whittle down the candidates 
to just the ones who have the support, right? Is that, or is that a controversial position for the RNC to take? Well, these requirements are very reasonable. We're looking at something like a 3% polling average for the next debate, which is what we believe that candidates should be able to meet. And I think part of the problem is when you, if you were to have no requirements, for example, and have 20 people Mm -hmm. on the debate stage, you only have two hours. That's not a service to anybody. So we want to make sure we have the best debate possible. That's a service for voters. Yeah, it's always that that tricky line that sometimes parties have to to walk, whether it's your or state parties, of not wanting to tip the scales to anyone, but also recognizing, yeah, let's be realistic. (laughs) We need the people who actually are gaining support to get on that stage. And that's ultimately the end goal is to get someone strong enough to beat whomever it is we end up running against in this case, uh, maybe Joe Biden, maybe Gavin uh, Newsom or, or Kamala Harris. We'll see. Tommy Piggott, thank you so much for stopping by. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Happening now. Donald Trump is headed to the Georgia jail in Atlanta to turn himself in. This, of course, part of a ridiculously, transparently offensively, terrifyingly political partisan hit job. An indictment that makes very little sense from a legal standpoint. It should terrify people that they indicted all of his lawyers. Lawyers don't usually get indicted for offering advice in good faith to their client. Now, Can they find evidence that they all acted in concert with this conspiracy? I guess. When they'll provide that has yet to be known. Because everything that they've said, everything that you read in this indictment, makes it pretty clear that they were acting well within the scope of the law and their responsibilities as attorney. Just the attorney side. There are some others that I don't know (laughs) If I would be comfortable saying that this was more driven by politics in particular, there's a guy named Harrison Floyd. He's the former executive director for Black Voice for Trump. And he turned himself in yesterday or earlier today, actually, this morning. And he specifically is accused of pressuring poll workers into providing allegations that the election was stolen. Now, that's the allegation. I don't know if they're going to say it's promoting if Harrison Floyd goes up to someone and says, if you think that this is really, do you believe this? You believe that there was fraud? You've got to say something. You have to say something. If you believe that this was fraud, certainly seems like fraud. You've got to say something. That's not illegal. Now, if it's, look, I know nothing nothing untoward happened here, but I need you to wink, wink, nod, nod. I need you to say something. That's going to be a little bit different. I haven't seen any indication that that's what happened. In fact, all indication very clearly is that this is motivated by politics. And as a result, what we're going to end up getting is a mugshot of Donald Trump, which is a very frivolous thing to ask for. You have someone who's the most well-known person in the world. You don't really need an actual mugshot. That's ridiculous. But they're doing it because all of this was always about not just trying to stop the president, but they were pretty open about, actually gleeful about getting a mugshot. This mugshot's going to be absolutely everywhere. 
absolutely everywhere. This is going to be an iconic shot. Here's the question. What does he do in the mugshot? Does he look straight ahead? His normal sort of stern face? Does he smile? Because he knows that this is nonsense. I mean, is he going to pull some kind of face? I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm, if I were a betting man, I would go with that stern look that he has because that's kind of his just his normal resting face where he just looks like, yeah, you're not screwing with me. I think he should. I think he goes for kind of a smirk. Not a smile, but a smirk. That's my A guess. Jason Rance smirk? Yes. Like just one side of the face going up, the smile going up, and then I get a note, the only note I've ever received for my TV appearances. Get rid of that smirk. That kind of smirk? Who said that? I'm not telling you. Someone high up. That's funny. We don't like that. And oh, and they didn't like my tie once. She what? Doesn't, she doesn't work Your there Your ties anymore. are generally pretty solid. Yeah, my ties are amazing. At worst, average. No. <laughs> I said at worst. Yeah, and I'm saying no. Okay. I'm, I'm completely rejecting that ludicrous position you just took. We'll see what ends up happening. He's on the way there now. Once he gets there, we'll obviously tell you. If he speaks, we will play it. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. 1-800-465-8770. Don't forget, we have a weekly video that goes up every single Thursday. This time, we tackled the crime wave in Seattle and why voters should share a lot of the blame. It's brought to you by your local advocate, tax specialist, Greg Nunn of None Better Tax Resolution. N-U-N-N, None Better Tax Resolution. Mercer Island, Des Moines. This is the Big Local on the Jason Ranch Show. Shoreline, Woodenville, Burien. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that. 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for the Big Local, brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. They're online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore stories coming out of Seattle and instead focus all of our attention on the communities you care about most, the ones you live in, all while having an eye on former President Donald Trump, who is headed to the Georgia jail, where he is expected to post a bond, $200,000 bond, then be released with a mugshot that Democrats have been itching for for a very long time. So once anything develops there, we'll break into that coverage. But first, we'll start in federal way, where a mom who was dropping off her kid at a daycare center ended up having her car broken into just seconds after she got out of it. So she was doing what some people do. We were always told not to do it, but we do it anyway, some of us. As she was taking her kid into the daycare, he was asleep. He was carrying, she was carrying her him in. She left the car running. Now, she has a fob, so it's a little bit different. But she left it running. And at some point, while she was inside this daycare center, one of the staff members looked down at their surveillance feed and saw two people breaking into the car. The woman's name is Jessica. And she spoke with Fox 13. Out of all places, daycare. And it's just a very scary thing to think about it. Take those precautions. Even if you think that it's going to take a second, 
turn your car off and lock your car because you can never be too safe. Okay. I mean, a little, little much given the fact she did quite the opposite of what she just said. It just sounds like the tone of that was, do like I did. No. I thought it was kind of she wants other people to learn from her mistake. Mm. That was what I got. Well, here, here's a mistake. Let's go over a mistake. At that point, once she realizes there's some folks in there, she bolts out the door, goes to the car, starts pounding on the hood, trying to get them to leave. And then she's all like, wait a minute, that was dumb. And then she ran right back into the daycare center, which uh, that was the better move to just stay in the daycare center. It was extremely scary. It was stressful. Um, I couldn't sleep. I just kept imagining all these, uh, you know, what if. So because she had the fob on her, they couldn't actually drive away with the car. So they ended up just stealing a backpack and a wallet, and then they ran off. The backpack and the wallet had an original Picasso in the backpack. The wallet had $73,000.12 in cash and pennies. 10000 was actually in pennies. It's a very large wallet. And she's okay. So that's the good news. The kid's okay. The car's okay. Fox 13 reports that 40 minutes later, she ended up getting a notification that someone tried to run a credit card for $600. But then she had all, by then, she had already locked them. She called her bank. She reported what happened. So they weren't able to really get anything from her of value, except for, I guess, the actual cost of the wallet and the backpack. But of course, what's really annoying is just having to go through replacing all of that stuff, especially when we're talking about a wallet. And she thinks that this was targeted, not necessarily she was targeted, but people who would show up there were the target. They were definitely um, like staking out the place. So we wish her the best of luck. I'm sure she has learned her lesson. And don't let this happen to you. I just did a mitzvah for the entire month. That's the one mitzvah I gave because I forgot to do one earlier. Wow, you're so generous. I think I am. Yesterday, we brought you the breaking story of a Tacoma police detective getting shot in the shoulder. And again, the good news is he is going to be fine. He was in stable condition yesterday. Nothing has changed. But now we know that he was allegedly shot by two teenagers. Teens. And yet another instance of juvenile crime that no one wants to acknowledge in positions of power. Cairo is reporting, Cairo TV, that officers said around 2.25 in the afternoon yesterday, the officers saw a car driving erratically in the area of South 96 and Alaska Street, and they watched it until it came to a stop. Now they were, this is me, talking to my sources, they were on some kind of emphasis mission. This was part of an investigation. I don't know if the individuals they spotted were part of an invest, uh, part of the investigation or if it was just happenstance they saw these kids and something just didn't seem right. When you're driving erratically, that can mean all sorts of things. So they approached the people in the car. The two in the car, they fled while firing at the officers. Now, a te- detective who's been in the forest for 27 years, ended up getting hit in the shoulder. 
you'll recall on Monday, we did a story very similar. In fact, even last week, we did a story very similar of Tacoma PD getting shot at. Remember the one that we did on Monday where four bullet holes to the windshield? Like, this is dangerous work. Your spokesperson, Shelby Boyd. The uh, detective called out at 2.26, having been shot. The officers on scene scooped him up, got him to the hospital. Um, he is in stable condition. He called it in himself. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. That's a tough guy. Yeah. Yesterday, just after 5 o'clock, Tacoma PD said they found two teenage boys who were responsible, they believe, they brought him into custody. One is 14 years old. The other one is 15 years old. They were found with the help of a canine unit. Hey, I wonder if it was, what was the dog's name from last week? Eddie, I think. Yeah, it was Eddie. Butters, something like that. Don't remember. They ended up getting booked into Remen Hall. That's the juvenile facility for, uh, specifically for attempted murder. Now, 14, 15 year old in Pierce County, Mary Robnett is on top of it. But let's be clear. They're not going to spend their life in jail. Not in Washington State. You can't because of their age. And they almost certainly will end up pleading down to something where I guarantee you that they'll be out of jail by 21. If not earlier. They shot at a cop allegedly. So at least one of them, whoever's found to have been the shooter. That person will get a sentence at least until he's 21. But... There are some folks who I've said it's not really worth trying to rush to get them back on the right path. That when you're dealing with someone who is, you know, either 14 or 15, who was accused of shooting at an officer, obviously the kid knows what he's doing. There was intent there. That's not someone who's going to just suddenly shape up, right? Like, restorative justice this is not going to work on this kid. And I don't know if putting a kid who's very clearly on the bad side, if these allegations are true, putting him in juvie, okay, it's not really going to change anything. There are some kids who might be too far gone. And, you know, I'm uncomfortable saying that because I don't want to throw a child. I'm not looking to throw children in jail. But sorry, I have a very low level of tolerance when it comes to shooting officers. I also have a low level of tolerance of activists who try to get in the way of a really good idea. And thankfully, the activists lost in Spokane, where a judge threw out that silly legal challenge to the anti-camping initiative that now voters are going to get to decide on in November. We talked about it a few weeks ago. It bans encampments or camping within a thousand feet of where kids congregate. So we're talking about parks, daycare centers, schools. But the Spokane Low Income Housing Consortium, along with a nonprofit called Jewel's Helping Hands, they sued to try to stop this from appearing on the ballot. They basically said the state is the only entity that can come up with a policy like this. Now, Mark Lamb, the attorney representing the right side of this, friend of the show, pointed out that that argument is dumb. And the judge was all like, I agree. That argument was dumb. The judge is Tony Hazel. He decided to toss the lawsuit and thus it ends up going for a vote. 
the reason why, generally speaking, activists, especially within the homeless industrial complex, don't want the people weighing in on issues like this is they think they're on the wrong side or they know they're on the wrong side. Now, I don't know Spokane the same way I know, you know, cities in Western Washington. Spokane, certainly more red than it is blue, or at least that used to be the case. I don't know if that's as much the case anymore. There's been a lot of propaganda around the topic of homelessness. And, you know, the activist community goes out of its way to try to shame you, calling you heartless because you don't take a position they want you to take, which is usually just, yeah, let's just leave people camping wherever it is they want to camp. And when they're ready, that's when we'll help. I'd hope most people would reject that horrible position because it's not in the best interest of the homeless. But when you get bombarded with that message over and over and over again, and sometimes you get bullied into accepting the position of an activist, it's anyone's guess where things would go. I'm hopeful that in November, the fine folks of Spokane, I say somewhat ironically because I don't think anyone is fine other than myself, um, I'm sure that they will vote on the right side of this. You know what today is? What's today? Day two of the Kent School District reopening for classes. Woohoo! Yeah, it's day yesterday. You know what it was? Uh, the first day. It was the first day. Today? Second day. Second day. Let's check in with our friend Nolan. One of the craziest things to me is just going to all these different classes and learning very different things. I think that'll be a big, a big part of it. He's still excited. Same clip from yesterday. Yeah, no, I know. Okay, okay. No, that was the joke. Okay. Just making sure everybody knew that. Why do they have to know? I don't know. In Why case would you like, ruin is that the, the joke? same kid from yesterday? You always ruin the joke. Was that that good of a joke, though? Well, apparently it was good enough for you to crash and burn it. So, yeah. Because isn't that normally what you do to my content? Yeah. Crash yeah. and burn it? Yes. Here's a reminder that every single vote counts. It's out of Snohomish County. There is a recount happening today. I don't think it's over yet, but it's a recount for the Snohomish school board race. Now, it was a three-way race. Sherry Larkin came in at the top. The question was, who was going to face her? Either the incumbent, Sarah Adams, or a teacher and first-time candidate, Monica Weber. On primary night, they were an exact tie. They had 2,744 votes each. Then over the next few days, of course, more ballots came in. And then Sarah Adams pulled ahead by just 20 votes. And because of the margin being so close, it triggered an automatic recount. So now they're doing the recount. I did not follow this race. I don't know Sarah Adams from Monica Weber from, frankly, Sherry Larkin. I I don't know them from Max. You all could be the same person or completely different. I don't know. Never know. I don't know where they stand on the issues. I don't want to pretend otherwise. However, it's an important race because it has to do with kids in Snohomish County. We certainly know from a conservative perspective what's been going on in classrooms. We're upset. We've been talking about these issues for a very long time. And this race is important. Too many people decide they're not going to vote or they don't do the research necessary in their own communities on the various races. I didn't pay attention to this because I don't live in Snohomish County, but a lot of you guys do. How many of you actually voted? 
How many of you were passionate about this particular race? For whichever candidate. I'm presuming one of those three is a reasonable person. Maybe even conservative. Did you do enough? Because one person is ahead by 20 votes. And I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet right now there are 20 people in Snohomish County listening who did not vote. Or there's someone who probably knows 20 people who didn't vote. So consider that the next time we have an election. That every vote matters. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. Donald Trump just turned himself in at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta. Not entirely sure how long this process will take. It's unlikely to take probably more than 20 to 30 minutes, I guess. They knew he was coming at this time. And because of the security that's necessary, they probably are moving him in and out rather quickly. If he speaks, we'll be carrying it. Until then, you get to pick the next story. Story number one. A Dollar Tree said theft is such a problem it's going to start locking up items or stop selling them altogether. Or story number two. Oh, my God. I'm going to get in trouble on this one. First grader starts tripping because the little kid had marijuana lace candy at school. If you pick that story, you're going to get me in trouble. Let's just be clear about that. Fair assessment? Yeah. 1-800-465-8770 for your texts. Pick the topic on the Jason Rand Show. You can't tell if you like me or hate me because you pick the story that's obviously going to get me in trouble. Because there is a first grader who started tripping at class. Happened out of Indiana. Comes to us from WSBT Television. That says a mom in a county I can't pronounce in Indiana has a serious warning after her first grader came home from school high. Thanks to a piece of candy from a classmate that turned out to be laced with weed. It was the end of the school week for the Delp family. And then they noticed when their kid came home, six-year-old Thea, a first grader at Syracuse Elementary, there was something just, something just off. At first, they couldn't quite tell what it was. Jordan, the mom, said her husband picked Thea and her siblings up from school. They were preparing for the weekend. The family gathered in the kitchen. Everyone was kind of super active and ran down to the kitchen counter. And then this little six-year-old girl. Started to kind of walk slowly, like not a care in the world, into the kitchen. Thea walks in and she just, her, I immediately noticed her eyes. They were, had the, I don't know, they were almost like swollen and they were, they were like slits. She did that look. We're like, yeah. Because they're high and they're squinting a little bit. And I don't know why people who are high squint, but that's what they do. And so Jordan probably was all like, I remember when I was in college. I remember that one time I finally got the in-laws to take care of the kids for that weekend so mommy and daddy could have some time alone. She had the kids when she was in college? No, this was recent. This was last weekend. Well, you just said back in college. I skipped ahead. Okay, well, you didn't do the fast-forward noise. 
There's no fast forward noise. There's only a rewind noise. Oh, sorry. Excuse what's me. A, what's a fast forward noise? How's anyone going to be able to tell the difference between the fast forward and the rewind? Context. There's Yeah, I can't do it. All right. So she's all like, what's going on with my kid? She tried to figure out what was going on. About 45 minutes later, they say she got a call from Thea's principal saying there had been an incident. A classmate had brought in chocolates. His classmate handed the chocolates out to a bunch of his friends. Don't know if the kid realized this or not, but they were laced with the weed. Or I'm assuming THC, whatever. CBD, what I don't know. Thea's dad realized she had eaten the candy on the car ride home. She got high in front of dad. I don't like how casual kids have becoming with their parents and vice versa. This is probably the kid who goes like, hey, Mike, I told you to call me dad. Hey, Mike, look what I'm doing. She's eating the candy in front of him. And then all of a sudden that hyper hyper kid starts to go like, whoa, feeling pretty good, dad. Why are we only driving like six miles an hour? What's going on here? Honey, what are you? T- we're, we're going forty miles per. What are you? What are you talking about? Oh my God! Why are we going so fast now? Honey, we're at a red light. What? I don't understand. My God, Dad. Why is it taking so long to get home? It's been in this car for like four hours. What are you talking about? I I literally just picked you up. You can see our home. It's Two blocks away. We've been in the car for three minutes. Really? What's going on? I don't know, but I'm kind of jonesing for another piece of chocolate. Does mommy and daddy have chocolate when we get home? Can I have some? (laughs) Don't know how many kids actually ate the candy. But Delp took her, Jordan Delp, took her daughter to a hospital where they monitored her and kept her hydrated. She came home late Friday night once the high went away. And I imagine, because how long does a high normally take nowadays with the kind of weed that's out there? I keep seeing these stories about, it's not your grandfather's weed. First of all, you don't know my grandfather. It's not my grandfather's grandfather's weed. I'll go with that. But if it's super powerful, super potent or whatever... Six hours, seven hours, eight hours, maybe? I yeah, don't know. something in that range, maybe a little longer because she's a very small child. Well, I'm just saying in a general sense. Yeah. She's a kid, so it's probably way more than that. They're probably pumping her full of fluids just to sort of flush everything out. The superintendent, Steve Troyer, says we're going we're gonna to look into these district policies of ours and Figure out what we can do differently next time. I I don't think that we have been uh, extremely rigid about um, bringing items in that were prepackaged, but I know that there's a lot of places that do have those policies in place. That would be something that that we will certainly take a look at. Out and of abundance of caution, our superintendent friend said, moving forward, we are collecting all suspicious looking candy. We're going to test it first. 
And if it is, in fact, something that shouldn't have been consumed on campus, we'll give the kid a couple passes because, I mean, you're getting me high and I'm not paying for it. There you go. Trump is leaving the Georgia jail, as we said, only about 20 minutes. Might have been actually a little under 20 minutes or so. He's in his motorcade and they are leaving. I'm uh, and when I say motorcade, there's a ton of cops, like a ton of cops protecting him. He's going to go back to the airplane, Trump plane, Trump Force One, whatever they're calling it. He might speak right before he boards. So if that happens, we'll be carrying that live. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH.